Welcome to the 95th episode of the Real Life Diabetes Podcast with today's guest who is changing mindsets while shooting for the stars, April Blackwell. If you're new to the show, welcome and thanks for stopping by. My name is Amber Kluwer and I'm the co-founder of Diabetes Daily Grind and host of this, the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. I enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living their best life with this disease. If you couldn't tell, (laughs) I was in awe of April and her calm demeanor as she shares her passion and journey to become an aerospace engineer. And I don't know about you, but in kindergarten, I wasn't considering space exploration as a career path, but she stuck to her guns and achieved this goal even after a T1D diagnosis. She deserves to be the first person living with diabetes in space and absolutely shares my personal mantra to dream big, diabetes or not. Before we get started, I have a few quick announcements. Number one, I'm gearing up for the epic 100th unicorn episode. As a serial entrepreneur, I created this campaign to highlight my fellow creative diabetes homies. I promise you want to get involved, so shoot Penelope, DDG Marketing Associate, an email at Penelope at DiabetesDailyGrind.com for more details. Number two, hosting the Real Life Diabetes Virtual Happy Hour every Thursday puts pep in my step and is a great way to kick off your weekend. The gathering has nothing to do with alcohol, but it is for adults. I hope you'll join me for entertaining pub talk, live music, random themes, and trivia sessions with other people who get it from around the world. Please note, you have to register via the private Real Life Diabetes Facebook group or by clicking the Happy Hour logo on my website. Number three, I'm in the process of launching a new podcast series. Just the facts, please. Featuring medical professionals and industry leaders who can help fill the gap in diabetes management. I'm always down to learn something new, and I'm sure you are too. Hit us up if you're interested in learning more. And finally, stay engaged. Love, like, share, and comment on all things social media. Sign up for the e-newsletter where you hear things first. Leave an iTunes review. Subscribe to the DDG YouTube channel and click on the Amazon banner on the website before ordering. It doesn't cost you a thing and throws a little change my way. All right, let's get started. April, thank you so much for joining the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. I want to start by saying that we connected, gosh, it was two months ago, almost to the day, um, because I stumbled across you, I think on Instagram, Nerdy April, and I was like, ooh, I'm a nerd too. Who is this? And so when I started reading what you were putting out, I was like, bam, she needs to be on the podcast because I feel like you uh, share my mission to encourage people to live their best life with this disease. So I'm in San Antonio currently. You're not, you're just down the street. So you, are you in Houston? Houston. Yep. Houston, we have a problem. (laughs) (laughs) And that makes a lot of sense here in a second when we tap into your career. So if you don't mind touching on briefly your diagnosis story. Sure. So I was diagnosed at age 11 and um, pretty much the standard symptoms. So it was during Christmas break and my grandparents were here, well, not here, but at my family house visiting, which meant that we stayed up late playing cards and games, and I just couldn't keep up. Um, As an 11-year-old, that sounds strange. But I was very fatigued, drinking a lot, 
and going to the bathroom a lot. And uh, the interesting thing was my mom thought it may be a UTI. So she tried uh, the cranberry juice method, the old wives tale. And um, for someone who actually has diabetes, it's probably not the best <laughs> remedy. So it took about a week of daily pediatrician visits and I joke about being able to pee on command. And then we finally got the diagnosis of type one diabetes. And so you were not in DKA. So there, you thankfully it was caught before that. Did you understand what diabetes was at that point at age 11? Oh no, I had no idea. Um, I remember we, we were told to actually go to the children's hospital um, to be admitted there and they would teach us what to do. And uh, they ended up sort of waving us off because it was holiday weekend. So they had a skeleton crew and one of the pediatricians in the practice actually lived next door. So he came over and gave me some of my first insulin shots, which was an, an experience, I guess. Yeah. But I remember on the way to the hospital there, you know, driving there, my mom just sobbing and I had, I had no idea why she was upset. And yeah. uh, I remember her saying, you know, some, some diabetics have to take shots every day. And I was like, well, that's not something I want to do. Right. So just saying that sort of scared me. And of course I had no idea at that point, everything that would be involved. So, yeah. So they stick you on, depending on the year in which you were diagnosed, but NPH and regular, correct? Correct. Did you call it cloudy and clear? Cause that's what I used to say. <laughs> Yeah, we did. I'm just, I remember my mom, you know, mixing them up together and getting the injection already. And then I would give myself the injection. We'd be on our very regimented schedule of when we were going to eat, how many carbs we were going to eat, um, when we were going to check blood sugars and everything. Yeah. So, And, you know, it's, I didn't realize this until the past couple of years talking to my family, like my sisters in particular, because I was in the middle of uh, three girls what an impact it had on the rest of the families. So how did your family respond to your diagnosis? Well, I think my mom kind of um, spearheaded the response. She sort of took that mothering role, really learned about counting carbohydrates and how to feed her family now with this new sort of, not restriction, but something to consider. Um, And at the same time, my dad actually had high cholesterol So it was interesting because I remember her sitting down with our nutritionist who was awesome. And her name is also April, (laughs) but she was like, how do I feed my family? I have a type one diabetic. I have someone with high cholesterol. You know, how do I make sure everyone's taken care of? And she just sat down. She gave us like exact, you know, meals, exact food, even down to the packaging, like buy this at Costco or get this here and told us exactly what to get. And in the process, my dad's cholesterol ended up coming down. You know, I think my mom felt confident in her abilities to take care of both of us. And my sister was kind of just along for the ride, but I'm sure maybe she got something out of it too. A healthier lifestyle from an early age, maybe. Yeah, I think maybe in a roundabout way, I think it taught her about empathy and, you know, seeing that we're not all perfect and how we kind of just have to roll with that and work together. And is she older or younger? She was younger. Okay. Yeah, my sisters have shared so much recently, and I'm like, ooh, no idea. We might need to do my therapy on this one. <laughs> but I appreciate their honesty, and uh, yeah, hopefully they got something positive out of the whole situation as well. So in knowing you and reading your story, you had decided in kindergarten, pre-type 1 diabetes, you wanted to be an astronaut. So let's touch on that. That's a lofty goal uh, for a kindergartner. 
Yeah. I guess maybe a lot of kindergartners have that dream. Um, you know, I have a four and a half year old right now and she's really into being a, a firewoman, a Ooh, firefighter. Like so, um, yeah. So I think, you know, it's kind of one of those uh, tip of the spearhead sort of jobs that you see as a kindergartner that looks really exciting. Um, for me, it just turned into a passion and something I couldn't shake off, get rid of. You know, I couldn't get interested in anything else. I wanted to learn everything I could about about space. And, um, you know, both of my parents have always supported me through everything. And my dad was sort of the one who, I guess, lit the fire in, in a pun sort of way. Um, but he was really, really enamored with um, the Apollo era and the space program, landing on the moon. He grew up through all that. So seeing him so excited and, um, you know, he would show me some of his clippings out of the newspaper that he had or um, one of my very favorite things was he had this old moon globe and it was a steel globe and it had like predictions of where we thought we might land on the moon and stuff. So it was really neat sort of artifact from that era. And I proudly displayed that because I was like, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're, we're going. So yeah, it kind of drove every decision, even in elementary school, you know, what books I was going to get from the library or what summer camps I was going to go to. And one of the funny stories is, it um, it sort of drove me to do this space camp, summer camp that our school district had. And in doing that, I learned a lot about computers. This was in, I was in third grade. My family didn't personally have a computer yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a couple of years later, we got our first computer. And I remember my parents asking me if I could put it together for them, <laughs> you know, in elementary school, because it had been part of our you know, curriculum and what we learned about in our space camp. So it's kind of funny how it all just runs together. And you were able to do that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like three wires. I need you to come to my house immediately and fix it. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, you have a serious drive to be an astronaut. You've been diagnosed with type 1. You go through, I'm going to just say the earlier years, do you feel like diabetes would ever um, kept you from doing anything that you wanted to do? In like junior high, high school, that, that kind of era, definitely not. Um, I remember that I had to sort of make sure I wasn't using it as an excuse because sure. I, I did see some people kind of play that game, not with diabetes specifically, but just other other things that may have been going on. And I don't know all their specific situations. So um, very well could have been something that was um, legitimate. But I think at, at, at some points, you know, there's definitely times when you could use diabetes as an excuse to get out of something. And for me, it was sort of a personal mantra that I didn't, I didn't want that because I didn't want anyone thinking, well, she can't do this because she has diabetes. So she probably can't do that. So even if it wasn't something I didn't really want to do and I could have used diabetes as an excuse, I um, sort of forced myself to make sure that that didn't, didn't come into my toolbox. I like that. And did your friends, were you open with friends about having type 1? For the most part, I would say, uh, you know, all my close friends definitely knew about it. And I even remember explaining it to some of them when I was first diagnosed and it was sort of strange. And definitely when I started getting like devices, it started getting a little more <laughs> noticeable, I guess. Right. Um, but I remember in junior high, I'm probably dating myself, but I remember in junior high, I was checking my insulin pump and we had like 
school campus security guards and one of them said put that pager away you're not supposed to have that on campus <laughs> and i was like it's my insulin pump um so you know my friends definitely stuck up for me in, in times like that so well that's great and if you let me ask you what insulin pump did you start on i started on the mini med uh was it 508 no idea I can't remember the number to be honest, but it was a uh, very basic. I remember it had um, sort of these two like arms that would go around the reservoir tip to like move the plunger. And it sounds so basic, but that thing never failed. It was, it was a rock star. So isn't it crazy? Yeah. Well, okay. And if you can share and you don't have to say brand names if you don't want to, but what are you currently using for your diabetes management? I'm currently using the tandem t -Slim. So I have the Dexcom G6, so I have all of the Control IQ software on board and stuff. And as a, a working mom with two little kids, I, I really, really enjoy um, putting my diabetes kind of on autopilot with oh. that technology. And so I have, I have my limits set pretty tight. Um, and that's just to kind of, you know, then I don't have to like continually check it. I can just yeah. wait for it to sort of beep. And then I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of trending high. I'll yeah. it down. So that's yeah. really handy. What a freedom that is. And so you have, you mentioned earlier, a four and a half year old. So you have two children. And how old is the other one? He is two and a half. So four okay. and a half and two and a half. Hands are full. Yeah. You have a full-time job and you have type one diabetes. You're basically a rock star. Without <laughs> getting paid. <laughs> I only want to touch on this briefly because there are a lot of people um, that listen that are nervous about pregnancy or questioning whether or not they should have children. I've said in a couple of episodes that I was, it was highly recommended for me never to have children. Well, if I lived long enough to have children, it wasn't a good idea. And I'm, that's okay. That was a long time ago and that was the information that they had. So were you ever nervous or discouraged to have children? Um... I can't say that I was ever discouraged. I definitely think there are some doctors, like on both sides, um, you know, OBs and endocrinologists that feel generally more comfortable than others yeah. with the concept. So I can't say that my endocrinologist, you know, really like pushed for it or anything, but <laughs> I, I think it was kind of like, okay, if that's what you want to do, we'll work through it. But my OB, actually, she was really great. And then um, she hooked me up with a maternal fetal medicine doctor mm. who I ended up kind of just doing virtually, even though this was before COVID and everything. But um, we exchanged emails and stuff. And he was just, he was like so excited to be able to like kind of deal with this challenge of type 1 diabetes and pregnancy. And so I emailed him through both of my pregnancies, you know, I exchanged, um, you know, some of my logs and stuff. And we talked about my basal rates and the, all the technology I used to manage everything. And he was so excited about it. And he recommended to my OB that, you know, she let me manage my own diabetes during labor and delivery. Oh, nice. She kind of took the reins on, you know, what kind of testing throughout the pregnancy would happen and what she felt comfortable with. Um, and then of course her recommendations, but, um, I was fortunate that she, she really let me and my husband, my support partner, you know, really manage the diabetes during the big moment labor and delivery. So 
and, and healthy pregnancies and deliveries? Yeah, um, my they were very different. My second one, <laughs> uh, he ended up having a lot of fluid around him, which is common actually in both type one diabetes pregnancies and not. So I actually the only person I knew that had it before she did not have diabetes. So it was an interesting problem just because it made me so uncomfortable because my belly just got so yeah. tight and big. And so he actually came a couple weeks early. I was induced a little earlier with him. But my daughter, she was born at like 39 weeks and four days. So almost like right on the dot. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. And I, you know, both kids are healthy and you get to love them and hopefully no diabetes down this pipeline. Hopefully not. Everybody's <laughs> so far so good. That. Yeah. But, you know, you, could, you, you know the symptoms and signs. So, yeah. And everyone that I talk to that has type one, male and female, when we talk about their children, it's always like, ah, do I test because they're acting cranky? You know, it's like, so bless yeah. your kid's heart. <laughs> yeah, I definitely sort of have a mental note of like, how many times has she gone to the bathroom? Or, you know, like yeah. there's, there's little things that stick out to you and make you start wondering. And then like the next day, everything's back to normal. So whatever. But Yeah, kids. Well, okay, so I want to dive into the reason why, again, you're a rock star for many reasons, but not many people can say, and I hope I can pronunciate this correctly, without my mouth guard. <laughs> you are an aerospace engineer. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about what education you had to get to have that title. <laughs> well, just an aerospace engineering degree. That's it. Um, so it took me about four and a half years to get my bachelor's in aerospace engineering. And then, um, then I got my first job out of college. And while I was working at that job, I did an online master's degree program for a degree, a master's in aeronautical science. So yeah, just kind of your standard, standard college stuff. Yes, standard building computers as an elementary, <laughs> bio, you know, student. well, I'm not a computer engineer, so I'm not sure my skills are that good but <laughs> but so word on the street and again your bio will be in the show notes because it's pretty incredible I'm, I'm having to read this literally you fly the international space station from nasa mission control yeah you said it i mean i mean that's <laughs> going on and what does that mean so we i'm the layman's terms i'm the the regular person who does not know the, the terms here we just this year went into space were you a part of that? Uh, I was kind of in the background of that specific mission. Okay. So we have um, we have people in our group that are assigned to each mission. And so we had people assigned to that mission, oh man, probably for the last four years because there was a lot leading up to it. Um, and I helped uh, write some of the emergency undock procedures, but I wasn't actually on console for the docking or undocking or anything that was all flight specific team is what we call it okay so what is a day in your job i mean you're working remotely currently right uh for the most part actually last night i was on console um in mission control it was my 300th shift so it was kind of exciting Yay! yeah um but our console supports 24 7 so sometimes i have strange shifts like last night I worked uh 3:30 p.m to 12:30 a.m so kind of that swing shift time um and last night wasn't anything crazy thankfully um but we were doing some 
robotics, robotic science experiments um, on the Japanese module. So that required me to send some commands um, to our system, which is the motion control system, to make sure that the thrusters didn't fire. Because when you're doing really fine maneuvers with robotics, you don't want to jar anything with thrusters firing. So that's part of our job. And then, yeah, kind of the, the overall aspect of our job is um, we're called the Attitude Determination and Control Officers, so ADCO for short. But basically, if you think about an airplane, you know, you want your airplane to be flying straight and level, you know, not doing any sort of crazy maneuvers. So we sort of do that for ISS. Um, we make sure that ISS is flying in the trajectory that we have planned, in the attitude we have planned. And so we troubleshoot any anomalies that arise. We send commands to the vehicle and we monitor thousands of telemetry pieces coming down from the space station all the time. When you say send commands, is it like an email? Are you sh- I mean, how do you, like, <laughs> what does this look like? You're, I mean, it's like you can call them on the phone and be like, yeah, you're a little too far to the right. Let's, you know, so what do you do? Well, um, for the most part, actually, Isaac Newton takes care of the physics for us. Um, but sometimes we do have to send commands to actually maneuver ISS for a certain event. Um, For instance, if we do a docking or undocking, you know, if we're flying along like an airplane, we might have to actually pitch the space station up 90 degrees for the docking to occur. So we will send commands up to the space station telling it which way to rotate in order to get to the orientation we want. So it's pretty fun. (laughs) And just for the, again, layman's terms, ISS stands for International Space Station. Correct. Yeah. The rest of us do not, I would not, I mean, if I was not staring at my notes, I would not have put those two. <laughs> Sorry, it's NASA. We have so many <laughs> You know, and diabetes does too. It's so funny because, um, you know, I wear a CGM, yeah. a glucose monitor, and onboard ISS, we have these things called control moment gyroscopes, which are big wheels turning to stabilize ISS. And so I always say CGM and CMG, and it's like... <laughs> This funny like interplay of my two worlds colliding. So. <laughs> That's funny and easy to mix up. And I didn't know what an MDI was, and I've been an MDI my whole damn life until like, <laughs> a year ago. I was like, ah, now I've got it. I've got an acronym I can use. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. You um, when I first put out a video about my diagnosis and what the Diabetes Daily Grind was all about, it was all about there was a whole checklist of when I was diagnosed, what I was told I could not do. So fly a plane, drive a train. I mean, anything, I mean, just, it was actually quite comical how we put it together. I cannot imagine. And, you know, this year we've been lucky enough to see someone be able to, a gentleman be able to fly a commercial airplane. I'm doing that no justice, no offense to him. But so we're breaking the glass ceiling. And that's one of the reasons I started this. And I love, love, love hearing your story. And so what does it take in order to be, an astronaut. That's, that's too much. That's too much for you to tell me. <laughs> I mean, I know that someone with type one diabetes currently cannot be put in space. Correct. Correct. Via NASA. Via NASA. And that is because of what? Um, well, you have to sort of look at um, the missions that NASA astronauts perform. So they are shot up on a rocket. They dock with ISS. Most of them stay there on the order of six months to a year in space, um, which is pretty hard on even a top-notch human's body. Um, and then there's 
there's just a lot of unknowns. Um, so we haven't really done testing in that environment and those pressures and everything on diabetes equipment. So insulin pumps or CGMs or even the insulin itself, how it may react in a weightless environment. You know, I've heard, you know, these rumors and sort of horror stories about insulin pumps on airplanes. And some people talk about being high while they're flying, or some people say they get like extra insulin delivered and stuff. So um, if you kind of just take those rumors and, and um, you know, things that we talk about and sort of amplify them up to space, there's a lot of unknowns there. And then, you know, if you just look at, at the diabetes companies themselves, there's not a huge push to be able to certify their equipment to that, you know, <laughs> pressure rating and vibrations and everything, because there's not tons of people that are, you know, just wanting to get to space. So, you know, there's some politics, there's some financial stuff involved. And um, the fact is NASA just, they're in the, a business where they can choose the best of the best. Um, that's the best situation for them and for the space station and for the, the continuance of exploration. So we have to sort of look at other avenues where we can get um, type 1 diabetes into space. Well, here's my question for that. Like, and I totally respect NASA and the restrictions that they put because we do, I mean, that's, we're talking billions and billions and billions of dollars. If they were to come to you, I'm pitching this, NASA, and say, <laughs> hey, we want to test out what someone with type 1 diabetes and how these devices and some would work, would you be willing, and it's okay to say no to this, would you be willing to put yourself in as like the test study? Absolutely. Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd be curious too, and I know nothing, I mean, and I say that with my head down, about this type of stuff, but you know, how would your CGM work? How would you take your supplies? I mean, right now, I don't even take them through airport security. I mean, I get patted down. I mean, so there's like, a lot of things to consider. I mean, CGM runs on like a Bluetooth technology, and Bluetooth can interact with all the electronics inside a spaceship. Um, so there would be just a lot of testing on if if we could even use those pieces of equipment in space, or if we need to maybe down mode to something a little more basic, like injections. Well, what if you had to test your blood sugar and you like break your finger, is blood gonna go everywhere? <laughs> no, because there's surface tension. <laughs> there's some good YouTube videos about it. If you just look up surface tension in space, um, some of the Ooh, astronauts have some really great ways on how they drink their coffee. That is so, I mean, it's the basic things like that, like everyday life, like how could you make it happen? Okay. So word on the street, there are two private groups that are taking people into space. Can you touch on that? You don't have to say the brands if you don't want to, even though I'm going to pitch it to both of them to send <laughs> to space. But like what, what it would take, and God, I can imagine the insurance you'd have to pull out for that. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm not sure about all the legal stuff. That is totally outside of my wheelhouse. But yeah, so there's two companies right now. Um, neither one have technically opened up for commercial flights yet, but they're they're looking to do that soon in the next few years. Virgin Galactic has sort of a space plane situation that they drop from sort of a mothership and then that goes to like 50 kilometers, I think. And then um, Blue Origin is another company and they have a more traditional rocket capsule situation. So I think, you know, there's a lot of testing going on, just the capsules themselves or the, the planes themselves. Once they get some crude flights under their belt, which Blue Origin hasn't even done a single crude flight yet, Virgin Galactic has done a few, um, but they've also had some setbacks. So after that, 
sort of initial phase is done, then there's going to be a whole uh, phase similar to sort of like medical equipment. You know, there's yeah, the testing and then you have to get it certified by the FDA and all the regulations you have to go through. So there's going to be a phase where they're figuring out, you know, what they're going to require of private commercial astronauts. Um, so I've heard some rumors and rumblings about what that might be, what that might end up looking like, but we don't have anything definite yet. I definitely see this down the pipeline. And my personal campaign was if it were to take $250,000 to get you into space, let's start saving our pennies because <laughs> let's do a go, go fund me right now. Yeah. And go fund me and you're a female. Let's let, I mean, there's so many avenues here that I'm just like, Oh my gosh, there's, there's it's gotta be. Yeah. There's gotta be something. <laughs> do you feel like diabetes helped discipline you at an early age to get you where you are today? Oh, I don't think I've ever been asked that question. Um, but it's something I've thought a lot about. Um, you know, I, I sort of, I have like a definite line in my mind of before diabetes, after diabetes, you know, I remember I was 11. So I remember not having diabetes and the shift that happens when you, you know, want to spend the night at your friend's house, but you have to take a shot or you have to test your blood sugar. You know, my mom was one where she said, well, you can't do it until you can do it yourself. Yeah. You know? So I don't falter for that at all. I think that's actually a pretty good, you know, line to take, but I think it just made me grow up sort of overnight. You know, I wanted to keep doing the things all my friends were doing, which meant that I had this new responsibility to take care of. And back then there weren't CGNs, you know, so my mom's like not watching her phone the whole time or whatever. It was all on me. And so I think it definitely did discipline me. And it's interesting because um, part of my NASA training is we go through about two years of, of flight controller training. And part of that is we learn sort of the history of flight control and what makes a good flight controller and all these characteristics um, that have been written down over the years. And there's seven of them. Oh, let's see if I can name them all. Let's see. There's uh, discipline, responsibility, teamwork, confidence, competence, vigilance, and toughness. And if you think about all of those words, yeah. they absolutely describe a life with diabetes and what we do literally every single day as both the, the patient ourselves and our caregivers have to do that as well. So I tell everyone, you know, that that's growing up with diabetes, that use it to your advantage. You know, this, this disease, it's, it's unfortunate that we have it, but it bakes in all these qualities that not only make you a great flight controller, but they're great for basically any job. If you can really hone those skills now. I think it's one of those things too. And I don't like the words, is it a blessing or a curse? And I think depending on the day and the situation, I can see it as, you know, one or, one or the other. And um, I will say that in getting to know other people living with diabetes at this level, I definitely see that this has been a blessing because it has definitely developed my character and I don't believe in being judged by a number, but I worked really hard my whole life to keep that number at a reasonable range. So yeah. And okay. Going back to the personal stuff because I'm always curious and I've never been married and I have no children. <laughs> Yay me. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> um, does your husband have access to your, Dexcom numbers. Oh, you know what? Um, so we did that for a little bit. 
sort of when it all first came out, we did it. We were like, oh, let's try it out, you know, see how it works. And since then, I think he's maybe looked at it like twice and he hasn't done like the updates to the app and stuff. So like, I don't think he can even look at it anymore. But the funny thing is I have my pump set to where it will vibrate, you know, if it reaches one of the thresholds. And he has woken me up in the middle of the night when I have my pump, like, you know, way over on the side or something. And he's like, your diabetes is going off, you know, maybe check it. (laughs) So what about your children? Do they ask any questions or, you know, um, not too many questions, but they, they know it's there. You know, my, you know, my site right here, my, even my two-year-old will say mommy's diabetes or again, like when it vibrates, my, my daughter will be like, mom, check your diabetes, you know? (laughs) And I think some of it, they don't quite understand. I remember we were on a walk just the other day and um, I was starting to go low and I was like, okay, we need to kind of speed it up so I can get home and get some orange juice or something. And I think that made them go slower. So I don't know that they understand everything, but they're definitely aware that I have like some extra things and they know how to say diabetes. So I think that's a good first step. Well, and I think it's one of those things too, at such an early age, maybe it'll give them a little bit more compassion, you know, and empathy for other people. And I don't like the word that we have a disability, but I really feel like having it at such a young age, I had such a Oh, just a, uh, anybody that I saw with a disability, I was like, we're soulmates, you know, it's like, I know what you're going through, whatever. So hopefully that will, uh, it's a, it's a weird thing, but, uh, yeah, makes some other people feel really comfortable long-term because mom, you know, goes through that, or I know somebody that is doing that. So exactly. I'm just so inspired by you, April. And thank you so much again for taking time. If you were to say Oh, give it. There was something that I took a note in our original conversation. Um, your mantra is to be respectful, but ask questions. So, if you could touch on that, and then I would also like to know for somebody that's listening that has a big dream that maybe right now we're told that we can't do it, what would you say to them? Okay. Um, so, mantra, it kind of goes hand in hand actually together. So, the whole thing is that a lot of the barriers that are in place for um, people with diabetes right now are based on really old mm-hmm. data, really old styles of type of management. Um, and it's really interesting because in my job now as a flight controller, I do have to get a medical waiver every year to be able to perform my job. Luckily, I get to face to face with my NASA doctor and she's the only one that needs to sign off on my um, waiver. So it's a little bit different than the FAA uh, method because they're, I call them the black box doctors, but they, you sort of send all your stuff to them and then they decide something and send you a letter back. But it's really interesting talking to her because she, you know, she deals with astronauts every day who are literally like perfect human specimens, you know? And so she doesn't know a lot about diabetes and how I manage it and all the technology I have now. So it's fun every year I get to show her what I have new, you know, oh, I have this new algorithm built into my insulin pump and, you know, all these alerts that can tell me how I'm trending and everything. And um, I get an update every five minutes on my blood sugar and she just like eats that up. You know, <laughs> it's really interesting to her because it's, it's kind of something out of the box for her. So it's fun to be able to educate people, maybe even though you're not expecting, like you wouldn't 
think to educate a doctor about right. diabetes stuff. But in the same vein, you know, like, why is this rule here? What is it based on? What is it trying to mitigate? And is there something in my diabetes toolbox now that can show that I can mitigate that? Um, which is what the FAA has done just recently and has allowed the class one medicals to become actually granted because they use CGM data, which is so awesome yeah. that we're, we're using the tools that we have now. So be respectful, but don't be afraid to question and figure out what is at the heart of what, they're, what the rule is, is actually set up for. And in the same vein, if, if you're hitting a barrier, you know, if, you're, if you want to be an astronaut and you're 10 right now and you have diabetes or whatever, you know, just keep a passion. That's really what drove me, what drove my decisions, what has motivated me even when I came up against these barriers because it can get, you know, it can feel heavy at times that you, you're sort of putting yourself out there and then you keep getting sort of pushed back. Um, that you have to have something that you're truly passionate about in order to, to stay motivated. So if that's being an astronaut or being actually someone I message with on Instagram a lot lately, he is uh, like a firefighter in the hotshot teams and has diabetes or, you know, is on the SWAT team and stuff like that. So there's so many areas where diabetics haven't been before, but we're getting there because we have new ways to do things and sort of changing some mindsets and stigmas about the disease itself. I totally agree with that. I absolutely agree. And I'm happy to still be alive to witness the shift. I mean, for many of us who were diagnosed decades ago, you were given a death sentence in 20 years, you know, maybe. And so to see so many healthy people and to see, um, you know, just to walk into a JDRF event and speaking to 500 kids, I'm like, you can do anything you want. I wish somebody would have told me that because I just kept thinking, damn, I've lived another year. What am I going to do next? <laughs> so it's not a bad thing, but you know. <laughs> it's just one of those things. I'm so happy to see this shift. And so thank you, April, for being an inspiration, for being passionate. And I feel very confident that there'll be a flood of questions once this podcast is live in the next you know, 10 days. Um, well, thank you for even letting me come on. It's <sighs> really an honor to be able to talk to you. And I'm going to, I can't talk about the details, but I will say, I'm hoping there's a follow-up with, uh, with you always, but I was contacted because there are a lot of devices and things that are in space currently that are being tested that we'll see how things go. I mean, there are a lot of things that the average person doesn't know about. And I'm like, woo, this is in space right now. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. And mind you, there's like, let's just say a hundred projects they have going on, but to know that they're even thinking about this. Yeah. That is incredible. So, yeah. well, keep doing what you're doing. Keep everything in space. <laughs> we'll try. <laughs> no guilt if some, no, that was whatever. Um, all right, April, well, thank you again. Yeah, thank you. April's personal mantra, be respectful, but ask questions, echoes her overall approach to life. I truly believe her diabetes management diligence fueled her aerospace career at an early age. She is the poster child for the sky is the limit. Keep up the good work, April. I look forward to seeing you in space one day soon. Before I wrap up, I have a few last minute reminders. Number one, Real Life Diabetes Virtual Happy Hour takes place every Thursday from 5 to 6.15 p.m. 
Central Standard Time. And be sure to register via the private Facebook group or by clicking the Happy Hour logo on my website. And this is an event that you can just pop into. So don't feel like you have to be there the whole time, even though I promise you'll want to. Number two, you want to participate in the 100th Unicorn episode. And I want to highlight how your business is making my life with diabetes a more pleasant one. Don't be shy. We would love to hear from you. Number three, we're always looking for partners, sponsors, etc., who share my mission to provide support and resources for all people living with diabetes and their loved ones. Penelope would love to chat, so hit her up at Penelope at DiabetesDailyGrind.com. And finally, please stay engaged on social media. If you want to contact me directly, I can always be reached at Amber at DiabetesDailyGrind.com and getting a message from you and or an iTunes review makes my heart happy and keeps the episodes coming. That's a wrap. Cheers to the highs and lows, everyone. 